Thank you. This was really fun. Anytime, y'all. Anytime. Okay. everyone and welcome back to A608 After Hours. I'm Monica Higgins. And I'm Uche Michi. And we are delighted to have with us today Cheryl Camacho. Uche, so what were you thinking about or what have you been thinking about in terms of our discussions this week? It was, I love the conversations this week. A um, couple different cases, a couple different things going on. I'm going to focus on one of the discussions where we talk a lot about teaming um, and how important it is to establish processes that help teams and organizations um, learn even as they have to make decisions and execute. Doing both at the same time is often very hard and very difficult, but it is essential um, and also the framing of that. So different roles, goals, and interests, those, that's what you have in an organization on a team. Um, at the individual level, this requires processes that guide people towards integrating inquiry into their engagement approach and not just focusing on advocating for their positions or their personal interests. And much like we, like elementary school teachers try to instill in their students when solving math problems, and we similarly ask our students, making thinking visible, making explicit that ladder of inference, can at once help an organization and lead to better decisions. So quality processes, quality outcomes, and, and a team that continues to engage. I know this is hard. We had some conversations after hours in class, but how do you support such a system? What's the leader's role and what's the team's role? Mm. What are you thinking, yeah. Monica? Um, to pick up on your comments about decisions, I've been thinking a lot about difficult decisions. It seems to have been the mm -hmm. topic this week, which is a critical component of effective leadership. Leaders often have to make decisions that are incredibly difficult, sometimes in teams, sometimes after the consultation uh, with a team. So in one of our cases, the leader who is the head of a, a division in a company decided to do something completely counterintuitive. And this person decided to invest when, <laughs> The rest, even the board, thought that they really should be cutting costs and not invest. And then in another class, we had a team-based exercise that involved a team-based difficult decision that a cross-functional team needed to make. And they had to decide whether to invest in an innovative technology for their business. And the team had to come to consensus amidst a lot of uncertainty and scarce information, which is often the case. Certainly in education, we don't have all the information most of the time, and there's so much uncertainty. So for me, this is a timely topic for educators because it's so important to consider how to make difficult decisions right now during this very tricky transition time uh, during so amidst so many crises, including the global pandemic and the transition back to school. So I'm so delighted to have with us today Cheryl Camacho, and welcome. Um, welcome. It's great to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So just by way of introduction, um, Cheryl currently serves as the CEO of the South Bend Empowerment Zone in South Bend, Indiana, 
where her work focuses on transforming academics and school culture in four elementary schools and one middle school. Cheryl's prior experience includes being a national board certified master teacher with seven years of experience teaching first and second grade in high poverty schools, an award-winning elementary principal, an experienced facilitator of conversations about race and education, and a designer and facilitator of professional learning communities and executive coach for senior leaders in nonprofit organizations, districts, and schools. Through her past work, Cheryl has led the transformation of three elementary schools into non-selective magnet programs, one of which received national attention as one of the nation's first STEM elementary programs. Cheryl received her bachelor's in sociology and master's in education leadership from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and her EDLD, a leadership doctoral degree, from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Cheryl, welcome. And please add on to the introduction if you'd like to. Oh, thank you. I would just add uh, another really important part of my identity is that of being a mother to three children who all have really, really different needs um, from their schools. And I think that that has really informed my lens as a leader as well. Awesome. Well, I think I'd love to come back to that piece as well, of course. So critical. So thinking about your work these days as CEO of South Bend Empowerment Zone, can you share with us a couple of lessons you've taken away about making difficult decisions amidst so much uncertainty, particularly now with the transition back to school? Absolutely. Um, I actually captured a few. I have three um, that I want to highlight. The first is that making a decision is better than not making a decision. I think sometimes leaders are so terrified to make the wrong decision um, that they are uh, immobilized and that can really you know, kill momentum, kill teams. The second is that making a strategic decision is better than making a random decision. And then the third is that engaging varied perspectives amongst your team contributes to making better strategic decisions and builds ownership about the decisions that'll be made. Interesting. It's so interesting that you say that because I know that we have a case in which actually not making a decision or deciding not to make a decision is a decision. Is that also a possibility in your consideration set? I think it, I think it is when we think about timing. So mm -hmm. the time isn't always right to make a decision, but sometimes the time requires the making of a decision. And so I think timing is a thing that I think of with like the nuance that you're bringing um, mm -hmm. that sometimes the timing is not right. Sometimes if you wait a little longer, you just might get a little more information or the, the issue might be more ripe to make the decision with your team or with stakeholders. But at the end of the day, like you said, not making a decision is still a decision. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. right. uh, yeah. Interesting. And can you give us an example, any one of those categories that you mentioned? Yes, I can. So I know that at the beginning of last year, when we, we were still learning a lot about COVID, I know we're still learning a lot about COVID, but the beginning of last year for my team and myself was just really, really challenging because we've never navigated a, a pandemic before as educators and making decisions such as, are we gonna start virtually? Are we gonna start in person? 
Um, how are we going to set up our teachers and our staff for success to be able to navigate whatever we choose to do with COVID? Um, all of those were really, really critical decisions that we had to make. It would have been such a beautiful luxury to just sit back and wait and wait and wait, but school had to start. And so we had to make the decisions um, sooner than we felt like we had full information. Um, and that was really important, but it was also a little terrifying. Yeah, this reminds me somewhat of what some of the comments that Uche was making about having to execute while you learn, you know, along the way. And are there any takeaways that you have about engaging in that kind of work? You said you have to kind of make some decisions, but you don't have all the information. Yeah, I think that it's important that when you make decisions and you don't have all the information, which 99% of the time you don't, <laughs> that you're committed to continuing to gather information and that your team and your, yourself are willing to make pivots and adjustments to decisions that you make as you get more information. Um, one example of this is we launched the school year last school year. Uh, we launched it virtually. We made a decision to train our teachers and our staff and to delay the school year by two weeks so we could give them two solid weeks of training to set them up for success. Um, and as we progressed through the year, that felt like a good decision. However, we also noticed that as we progressed through the year and we were moving back to in-person and sometimes going back to virtual, that our staff was starting to feel really fatigued with all of that. And we needed to create space in our schedule for them to get more professional learning and more support and more time to plan. And so then we made another decision that we were going to actually move to a four-day um, you know, student attendance week and one day where teachers and staff could have time to plan and engage in professional learning because we thought it would be really important for us to be able to set them up for success and make sure that our children were getting everything they needed. So initially we thought, oh, if we give them two weeks at the beginning of the year, then we'll be ready to go. But what we noticed as we continued to collect data and see how things were playing out and what was happening on the ground, that we needed to build in more support for professional learning. So we had to make some different decisions. Did you learn anything about communicating with the, the community along the way about this? I mean, these definitely sound like difficult decisions and I'm just imagining being on the receiving end of, you know, so much change. Absolutely. And I think, you know, even zooming out from the beginning of last school year, our work in the Southman Empowerment Zone is so much grounded about making sure that all of our stakeholders have voice um, in what we're doing. So, you know, we started a parent advisory council, um, you know, we consult with them on our strategy and they informed our budget. We have teacher leadership teams that, you know, we've done the same with. And we have, of course, our principals who are important stakeholders in this work. So yes, I think engaging all of your stakeholders is really, really critical. Um, our students as well, we engage them also to find out their thoughts, their ideas, the pain points and celebrations of our strategy. And then we made adjustments as needed. Mm, wow, involving the students, that's, that's unusual, um, but that's terrific. So just to shift gears then back to your important addition to the intro um, or any other aspect about you know your identity you brought in being a mother but any other aspect of your identity tell us what you've learned about bringing your identity your background your full self to work each day oh man how much or time not. do we have or not. how much time do we have <laughs> um, so i think i think yes uh, my identity informs my leadership decisions, choices, my orientation to leadership, you know, as a, as a black woman, 
um, and serving 2,200 students who are majority black and brown, majority living in poverty, um, which I connect with also. I, I think that there's a certain amount of passion and heart and intentionality that I bring with me to work every day because I know how critically important each day is. At the same time, we have a team that's very racially and ethnically diverse, has a lot of different experiences. Again, when I talk about those groups, you know, the teachers, the parents, the students, all of those stakeholder groups are really important um, and really important for us to learn the stories of uh, because we're all different. And so I think, yes, of course, my identity informs who I am as a leader, but also holding that other people have identities also that they're bringing to work. And there needs to be space um, for us to hear their thoughts, their fears, their celebrations, you know, the things that are pain points, all of that is really important. It's not just about me. Um, so that's really, really important learning that I've had. Terrific. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Cheryl. I want to maybe just follow up or continue along the lines that Monica's questioning um, has led us to. You've talked a lot about difficult decisions um, and you've talked about engaging with different stakeholders and diverse groups um, in making these different difficult decisions. And in doing so, you, you just keep bringing up your team, like the team, you say we, and like um, there was a lot of uncertainty that you had to decide, you had to come together as a team to decide how to make decisions even with limited or incomplete information. So can you talk a little bit about what you found out about the importance of having that team and maybe talk a little bit about the role of the team in making decisions, but also how you've maybe gotten them to that point of agreement where like, again, uncertainty, incomplete information and just getting them to work together as a team and why that's important. Yes. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is that our team doesn't always agree. Um, and that's important to me, actually, that we have productive conflict. So we, we dig into things, we hash it out, we talk about the advantages, the disadvantages, the risks, the opportunities, and we don't always agree. And I think it's really important when engaging a team in decision-making to frame out like how the ultimate decision will be made. And um, for some of the decisions that we've made, it's what I share with my team is, I wanna hear all of your perspectives. I wanna hear all of your truths. And then we're gonna make a decision or I'm gonna make a decision based off of all of what you've shared. There are other times when like, for example, crisis, I just have to make a decision and maybe I'm not gonna engage everybody on that. And then there are times when I actually truly do wanna know where the majority of my team sits and, and majority will rule. So depending on the kind of decision that we're making, I think framing out for the team, their sort of um, their role and my role in decision-making is really important. I think it can be really demoralizing for a team to feel like it's gonna be consensus or to feel like majority will rule and then find out maybe sometimes that's not always true. Um, I also wanna talk about like quality of decision-making and then ownership of the decision once it's made. Because I think those two things really connect with this idea of team. I have found that, and I, I hire for like diversity on my team. I don't just mean racial and ethnic diversity. I, I want people who fall along a political spectrum. I want people who have grown up differently uh, because we're all gonna see the same challenge through a different lens. And if we can hold each other's truths and engage in real honest dialogue about it, where we're seeking to understand the strength of the decision, the quality of the decision always tends to be better because we've considered things from a lot of different angles. 
The other thing that I'll say is um, when I make decisions in isolation, which sometimes I do if there's a crisis, as I mentioned, um, my team doesn't have the same level of ownership in the decision as they do when we've like hashed it out and had productive conflict. And we all understand the why behind where we landed. So I think that that is also critically important because having a team feel ownership over decisions shifts how they're going to execute on the decision in huge ways. And so as much as I can do that, um, you know, like I said, when it's not a crisis uh, or an urgent, like we need a decision right at this moment, I, I really try to do that because I feel like my team, who I deeply respect and admire and love, I feel like they really take the decision and they make it really happen with their execution of it when they've had some ownership and some voice. That's awesome. I like, so that last piece that you said, leadership, kind of like that you love, like I forget, I think one of our previous um, participants said leadership is love and I, very powerful. Going back up to something you said earlier, I love how you, productive conflict is key and is important to go moving forward. And then you talked a little bit about some of the processes that you may use to help manage the discussion. So you were talking about how you make it clear whether they're consulting or like how their information is going to be used. But I'm also curious, and that helps with setting expectations a bit perhaps, but also like that conflict and different perspectives, you're seeking out people with different perspectives and different ideas and backgrounds. How do you... Can you talk a little bit about how you actually get that conflict to be productive um, and sustainable? Because I agree with it completely, but I'm just curious. I want to learn. And no, and it's also, I mean, to be fully transparent, you know, when I, this was a startup initially where I was the only employee, right, working with five schools. And so we've had to shift our organizational identity from like Cheryl uh, who's the South Bend Empowerment Zone to you know there's a whole mm -hmm. team now wrapping around our five schools. And I, I have to be very honest, in the beginning when I brought my team together, people aren't used to that always at work where you know, I really want to hear what you have to say. Um, and, you know, even working alongside difference, I have a very diverse team with a lot of different backgrounds. So we've done a lot of work along the way to really build a team's capacity to do that productively. Um, one example, and this is actually for those who've, who've been in the EDLD program, Lisa Leahy and, you know, the, the developing ourselves and the pinches, you know, we all, when we work on teams, especially on diverse teams, we get pinched sometimes. Um, and what I've done is I've done things like, like had my team actually map you, out on Google Doc. Could you explain that pinching a little yes. bit? Because I want to know. Let me just speak Harvard East right now. <laughs> um, so a pinch is like you're you're working with somebody and they do or say something that bothers you. It mm -hmm. makes you angry. It upsets you. You're like, why did they do that? What's going on? What, what is the problem? And I think if that's not well managed, it can destroy a team and it can prevent the kind of productive conflict that I'm talking about. But I've actually done exercises with my team where we actually go into a shared Google Doc and I'll be like, I want you all to write down one thing that pinched you this week about something on this team, not naming names, of course. And then I want you in the next column to talk about what it is about your story that made that a pinch for you. And it's like things like that, just I think build trust amongst the team um, and also help us understand and hold each other's truths. Uh, you know, sometimes we're not going to agree and that's okay. It's not just going to be kumbaya all the time. But let's really try to understand like what's underneath some of the tension and the challenges. And then I think because we've done things like that and our weekly team meetings are spaces where 
Like we're just direct, we're honest, we're asking questions, we're pushing. I think that the team has developed in a way that has enabled us to really get to a great place with engaging in that productive conflict, but it can't happen without trust. Um, and so, you know, I think that building that trust is really important. Wow, that's powerful. I love hearing you talk about both your goal and where you want your team to be, but also being very explicit about the processes that you're using to help manage the team process. I'm going to try that, <laughs> that two column thing. I'm going to try it tomorrow. So thank you so much. Love the idea. Love the very specific examples. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I, I, um, Cheryl, this is just perfect. Um, from like an educator's perspective, you know, thinking about leadership, sometimes we come into a situation and we really think, particularly in education, and I, maybe I'm going on a limb a little bit here, but probably not. We like consensus, you know, like everybody's got to feel as though they've come into the problem and they've had their chance and this and that. And generally, as you said, it's important to make sure we hear other perspectives. But you also said sometimes when it's a crisis situation, you may have to make a decision on your own. And this is a contingency kind of view about leadership. And it gets back to this point about difficult, difficult decisions where sometimes, yeah, you may get input, but it isn't then consensus. You're getting input, but it's informing you, you making a decision. And then sometimes it's truly consensus as in everybody has an equal vote. And I love your intentionality about that. I'm really thinking about the context and what is the nature of the decision that needs to be made. So I like that. And I also like how you manage people's expectations very much um, from the get-go so that people don't walk in expecting, you know, this is going to be a vote sort of situation. It may or may not be. So intentionality is one of the pieces that I'm taking away from our conversation here, intentionality and managing teams, setting them up, um, and then in terms of the process, obviously, you know, productive conflict sounds so easy, makes sense, but there are all sorts of things that you're, you, you know, hints and tips and even tactics that you've shared with us about not just the why, but the how, um, which uh, it's just really great. And Uche is going to be using it tomorrow. Can't wait to hear how that goes. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're going to take it and build on it and mm -hmm. um, just really, really great to reconnect with you and see Absolutely. how everything has been evolving. Mm -hmm. So thank, thank you. you. One, one additional thing I guess that I'm taking away that um, I like, I just basically everything that Monica said, yes, I completely agree. Um, just to underscore like that statement, I think ownership over the decisions is your ultimate goal, but that is not always what you can do, but perhaps like actually setting that expectation, like your intentionality, again, to use something that Monica said around the process, but being very transparent about this is the ultimate goal. We want you to have ownership over the decisions. That's why you're getting authority, but it may not always be possible. Um, and I think bringing people along the way. So again, thank you. Very thoughtful, very thoughtful ideas. All right, now we're gonna move to some light. <laughs> A couple of light questions. One light question. We'll start with a light question. So, um, Cheryl, we like to think about uh, desserts, and we're curious uh, as to whether you have a favorite, or if you maybe have many favorites. Can you share with us one? I have so many that this is mm -hmm. actually a really hard question, but I'll just name something <laughs> that I've been missing 
which is um, the summer special of peach flavored ice cream at JP Licks um, in Cambridge. I haven't had that in years and I've been craving it a lot lately. Peach ice cream. Nice. This is yet something else I'm going to have to try so based on your recommendation. Yes. Yeah. That sounds great. Yes. Slightly different direction in the questioning. What is one thing that you're grateful for right now? I'm grateful for so many things right now from like waking up this morning to breathing in this moment. But honestly, being a mother, I just think has been one of the greatest gifts in my life, like very, very challenging at times. But my kids just inspire me every single day. So I'm just really grateful for my children. Mm, love that. Love that. Okay, last question. What's one thing you wish someone had told you about life after Harvard Graduate School of Education? You know, I don't even really know how to answer that because I don't think that when I was at Harvard, I really thought about life after. I was just trying to get through it. <laughs> maybe, maybe somebody could have told me you're going to get through it, which people did tell me you're going to get through yes. it. Um, and then life is still going to be challenging. There's still going to be challenges. There's still tough decisions to make. There's still, you know, things that are painful and things that are beautiful. And so life continues on. Sometimes yeah, you, have, you have to put, you have to lift your head up to be able to look ahead and consider that. But yes, I do remember those days. Kara, <laughs> thank you so much. This has been a terrific conversation. And best Agreed. of luck to you with all the difficult and wonderful challenges and decisions that lie ahead for you. Thank yeah, you. I look forward to following your work and reporting thank back you so on much. your recommendations. <laughs> thank you so much. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you all today. This is great. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to hear others where Monica and I interview leaders from the social sector, visit us at bit.ly forward slash a608 after hours. That's bit.ly forward slash a608 after hours. If you'd like to join the conversation or share your thoughts with us, you can send us a message or voicemail or suggestions for new podcast participants at a608hgsc at gmail.com. That's a608hgse at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you soon.